If you have your Bibles, let's open to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read 17. And this is the passage that I'm going to, that I'm going to try to get to. Uh, and I'm going to read it first and we'll break it down later on. Uh, so Paul's thanking the church in Ephesus. And in this, we kind of step into this passage where it says, in the, and he's, t- he's saying that, that, uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is verse 17, and the Father of glory, this is what he's asking him, may he give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, I pray, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling? What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards others? Towards someone other than me? Towards those who have died already? towards the pastors and the reverends and the bishops. And you can call me your highest excellency. I will receive that. No, no. It says towards those of us, and Paul's not just telling them. He's including himself, those of us who believe, according to the mighty working of not your strength, but his strength. He exercised this power, and now he's giving an example in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything, say everything, under his feet and appointed him Jesus, as the head over, say everything, for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So as I started researching and studying power and authority, scripture just began to come alive. Everywhere I look, it's talking about God's power, talking about God's authority and authorities in general. And I've been like just super enriched understanding and pursuing what it means that Jesus is king. And changing changes my life and how I do life when I realize that Jesus not only wants to save me as a savior, he wants to lead me as my king. He doesn't just save us and leave us, but we have to choose to follow him because that's what makes him a king. And it's not that whether he's not going to be a king based on whether we follow him or not. He is a king regardless of whether we follow him. But the challenge is for him to be our king I don't want to touch on that here in a little bit, but I want to also summarize talking about authority. We cannot talk about what's happening in our country 
Um, we cannot talk about church authority and, and home authority. So I just want to summarize a little bit of what we talked about over the last couple of weeks and hopefully bring everything home and zero in on this passage that we just read in Ephesians. So a few things that we talked about is that we hate, we hate uh, being under authority, but we, we, we hate being under authority, but we love to be in authority. We, better for us to tell someone what to do versus having someone tell us what to do. We also realized that Jesus was under authority. He walked in authority, and he taught with authority. Jesus, was, Jesus has authority over everything that was given to him, over everything visible and invisible. And so it's very important that we make Jesus our final and our ultimate authority. We also talk about the power can be taken, but authority must be given. You cannot authorize people if you yourself don't have the authority we also talked about freedom, that we are not just free without boundaries, that freedom without authority is anarchy, and that's not a biblical way forward. Authority gives us freedoms within a, within a set of boundaries, and so there has to come some sort of authority that defines our freedoms, and, and I read 2 Corinthians that the, that the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. So the Holy Spirit defines our boundaries for freedom. Um, we also talked about God appointing lesser authorities in this world. Not everybody liked that part. But even though we submit to lesser authorities, we don't submit to them blindly. At times, ungodly authorities must be challenged, and when we do challenge ungodly authorities, we have to count the cost. And kingdom authority is what we're talking about, Jesus' authority. It honors lesser authorities, and yet it overrules all authorities. And so, Christ followers, we're obligated to stand up and to challenge ungodly authorities and leaders when possible, across the board. Um, but we're also obligated to, to submit to lesser authorities. It is not outside of the Christian to live a submissive life to uh, greater uh, authorities, lesser authorities than, than God, but maybe greater authorities than us. Now, I'm just, gonna, I'm just going through all this to bring everybody up to speed. We talked about costing the, uh, counting the cost of what, what it may cost us if we do go against authorities. Uh, we talked about Rahab. She switched her allegiance in Jericho. She, was, she had allegiance to the emperor of Jericho. And then she disobeyed the emperor of Jericho by hiding the, hiding the spies. But she just didn't disobey him just because she was rebellious. She disobeyed him. But she switched her allegiance to um, Joshua and his God. So his God became her God. So she aligned herself with a higher authority. And we read that for this act of switching her allegiance and hiding the spies, she went down. And we read in Hebrews, there's a, um, we call it the hall of faith where it's a recounting of all the things that people have done that who lived by faith. Um, and verse 31 in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Which is kind of interesting because, because she, if you looked at it from the Jericho's perspective, she was disobedient. But when you look at it from God's perspective, Jericho was dis in disobedience. Um, so that's kind of interesting. We also looked at Daniel. He was, 
He was not going out of his way to disobey the decree that King uh, Darius was tricked into making. Uh, he just continued to do what he did before. And, and, and people told on him, they ratted him out, which got him in the lion's den. And what's interesting is that even though he submitted to God's authority by praying in the open how he did before, he also submitted to Darius by allowing them to arrest him and throw him in the lion's den. That's kind of an interesting way to look at it because when you think of not following someone's authority, you think of just completely rebellion and, and, and just saying whatever, you know, but Daniel still honored authority while he disobeyed authority. How interesting is that? Because he was disciplined and he was faithful and he did not resist the rest, but he also did what was right in the sight of God. We're always under authority, someone's authority. But the question is, are we under Jesus' authority? Is he our ultimate authority? Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17 says this. Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It paints this beautiful picture that we cannot get away from Jesus' authority. You cannot. Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 says, Being found in, the, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and those, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father." We have a choice to submit to King Jesus, but when Jesus returns for the second time, it will be by force. And it's not because someone's going to try to make someone, we're going to step into this reality that even though Jesus may not be king over your life, he actually was always king. And that is going to be the day of judgment where you don't want to be on that side of history, as we like to say here in America. We are always under authority. And the way that we are, know what kind of authority we are under, we have to figure out what is the loudest voice in our life. And that loudest voice is the voice of authority. So the question is not if we are under authority. The question is who or what is our highest authority? And this is the question that we have to wrestle with because in theology and in our thinking and, and, and our knowledge, we, we, we say that Jesus is our ultimate authority, authority, but we have to look at our life and say, does our life reflect that belief? 
So we looked at those passages. You guys with me so far? No one's left yet? Fantastic. Uh, we also read, um, didn't touch on it a little bit, so I'm going to touch on it a little bit today, but we read Acts 5, coming to the New Testament, that uh, Peter and the apostles were brought before the council, and the high priest begins to question them. This is Acts 5, verses 28, saying, we have we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And this is where Peter responds, and the, and the apostles, we must obey God rather than man. I think it's a powerful statement because it shows that even though you're under authority, under governing authority, there is a higher authority that overrules human authority. And, and I'm talking a little bit about government authority today because we're in a world where there's a lot of division within our government and around the world. Um, all started out from all this um, virus of last year and so many conspiracies about it and so many opinions and viewpoints about what should we do, what we shouldn't do. You know, should we take the, take the vaccine? Should we not take the vaccine? Should we social distance? Should we wear a mask? Should we shut down? Should we, what should we do? Um, and so there's been a lot of conversation within your families and churches and work areas of, of when is it that we submit to government authorities and when is it that we challenge them. Who's ever had that conversation? Raise your hand. And the, those who did not raise your hand, you're rebellious. You just don't want to listen to what I'm asking you. <laughs> um, or, or you're just blindly submitting to whomever has the highest and the loudest voice in your mind. And if it's Jesus that's an amazing place to be. But if it's not, we need to evaluate who has the highest authority. And so we know with apostles and Peter and the early church, they were persecuted. They all died, right? They were all martyred, except for one, uh, scholars believe. But we also know that they challenged authorities. They didn't just allow them to be silenced. And sometimes we look at the gospel and say, oh, well, this is about them preaching the gospel. But the gospel is not just saying that Jesus can save you. The gospel includes the whole scripture. It includes God's laws. It includes your rights as human beings. It's not just can we preach salvation to people. It's far more than that. And I think it's kind of, it's, it's kind of interesting that, that if Peter is challenging corrupt religious leaders, why wouldn't we need to challenge corrupt other leaders. Are you with me? If we need to challenge husbands and wives, we should also be able to challenge governments where we can. A lot of times people did not challenge the governments, and so specifically for the church, the church went underground. And at that point, the cost for challenging a government is death or life imprisonment and, and labor. And we know nations that, that are like that. God is still moving, it's just in a different way. In America, and I wanna be a little specific to, to what's happening here, we are not there yet, but we're in that conversation of what's gonna happen with our rights. Um, and this is not about should we take the vaccine or, or anything like that, this is beyond that scope of, of the specifics. It goes back to authority. It goes back to authority and whose authority do we, do we align ourselves with. Um, 
Submission is coming under, it's yielding. It's allowing someone to make a decision on our behalf. It's not forced. The Bible says, submit, wives submit to your husbands. Not everybody liked that, and that's fine. It does say that. But it also says, submit you one to another. But if I am forcing you to submit, then that's surrender. That's different than submission. Because surrender is like, you have the floor, I don't have a choice. What do you want me to do? Waving the white flag is surrender. It means a choice has been taken from you. When, the poli- when police surround a criminal, surrender or we'll shoot. <laughs> the criminal doesn't have a choice because he's outgunned or, or outnumbered. Or if you're at a place and you get robbed or whatever, you know that the person with the gun has the authority. He has, he has the power. Right now, he's, he's forcing everyone to submit. And the reason there's a big difference, because one of it has the thing of choice, and the other one has the thing of force. Jesus is giving us a choice right now to submit to him. One day when he returns, it's going to be by force. And at that time, it's, it's going to be too late to submit to him by force. So we have to differentiate when it is our decision to surrender or, or our, our, our decision to submit or when we're forced to surrender. Tyranny asks for more than submission. Tyranny demands surrender. And so the right thing to do for a Christian is to oppose, resist, and challenge that form of government. It's destructive. It breaks God's heart. We should submit to one another. We should submit to lesser governments, but we should only surrender to Jesus. And if we have not fully surrendered to Jesus, it'll be really hard for us to submit to other governments. Because part of surrendering to Jesus is submitting to lesser governments. But part of it is also to take a stand. Right now in our country, people are being forced to do things. And people are resisting. There are people within our church who have lost their jobs because they are not complying with certain mandates. It's a real, real problem. And the church is not immune by this. There's just, we cannot just be in our lane and just let whatever happens, happens. No, we have responsibilities that were given to us by God. How can you speak for the voiceless if you yourself don't have a voice? If the human laws align with Scripture, we align with the human law. If the human laws violate Scripture, we continue to align with Scripture, thus opposing the human law by default. Scripture will go against human laws. 
it will happen. This is why obedience to God is our mandate, first and foremost. And it is not easy to follow God in a fallen world. And if you follow Christ, you will be persecuted. It's going to happen. Um, it doesn't mean that you'll always go on top. Like I said, the disciples all died. Welcome to the Christian life. It's not Skittles and rainbows, but it is Skittles and rainbows. <laughs> Just give it some time. Um, but if you're not being persecuted, then either Jesus is a liar or maybe you're not really following him. I think it's amazing how we are allowing the world to define what loving our neighbor looks like. Take the jab because you don't want your grandma to die. Wear the mask because you, love you, because you have to demonstrate that you're loving your neighbor. Social distance to show that you love one another. Stay at home. Don't gather because you love, because you love, because you love. And here's, here's the thing. Forcing someone to do something is not loving. Like this goes back to the Genesis account where, G, where God is like, listen, I'm going to plant two trees so that you can have a choice. So this is the gospel because it messes with our freedom, not that the government has given us, but that came from God. It came from God. So whenever human rights are violated, God's law is violated. And God is a God of justice. And if he's a God of justice, we have to align with justice all the time. And I think it's funny that we have submitted to the narrative of loving your neighbor is to obey the government. And I'm telling you, I said this for the last couple of weeks, we are called to obey the government. I'm not saying don't obey the government. Who's hearing me say, take up arms and go revolt? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying as a Christian, we're obligated to, to, to obey the government, but whenever it begins to diverge from God's law, we have to go left or right. And it's really noisy over there. Okay, thank you. <laughs> That's my son. So, he is in authority. Uh, no, he's not. Yes, he is. Okay. Um, <laughs> But it's funny how, how, how people are talking about loving one another and, 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 and inserting scripture into this whole thing. And my question to people is, if you truly loved your neighbor, why don't you share the full gospel with them? How many of us have, have regurgitated all of this other stuff on social media and not once said, Jesus loves you, Jesus is for you. When you die without him, you will be in hell forever. Forget about the mask. Forget about the virus. Don't be a concern of those who can kill the body, but be very afraid of that one who can kill the body and the soul. So we allow the world to hijack loving our neighbor. And I think the most loving thing we can do is share the gospel with them. Amen. And the church has a hard time doing that because it's very inconvenient. We don't know how they're going to react. 
Genesis, we, talk, we, we read Genesis chapter 4, when Cain kills Abel, Cain has taken authority over Abel's body and killed him. So the sanctity of the human body has been violated, and God was not pleased with that. God made the body, but in the, sin, in the sinful world, other people will want to take authority over a body that is not theirs. And I know we like tweakable things, right? You know, the phrase, my body, my choice, went from one group of people to the other group of people. It's, how convenient are we, right? So I know it's been used for two different things, and, and, so, and I agree with the statement to an extent. I think it's missing an element, but your body is your choice, and when it comes down to abortion, it's still the case. Your body is still your choice, but the body that's in your womb is not your body. And so, so your body is still your choice, so let the little human in your body, in your tummy, also have a choice. Um, it's part of the gospel of humanity that God created and God instilled from the beginning. So whenever you take authority over someone else's body, there are consequences for that. And so whenever the government comes in and, and authorities come in and, and, and take you away from your family because you're violent and you're violating their human authorities, you've surrendered your free will by the decisions that you have made to be incarcerated and God's justice is done whenever we see people brought to justice for acts that violate God's law before they ever violate man's law. This is why the Bible says that, that when you sin against another human being, you're not really sinning against them as much as you're sinning against God first and foremost. Our sins are first and foremost against God and then our fellow man. We have to put that into perspective. So we love God so that we can love man. And when we love man, it's a reflection that we love God. In Exodus 20, the commandment says, thou shall not steal. So if God or someone gives you something that we do not have jurisdiction over or authority or the right, we don't have the jurisdiction or the right or authority to take it away if someone gives you something or God has given you something. We cannot take from others what is theirs. That's part of the gospel. And they cannot take from us what is ours. Kind of simple. It's a God-given right. You have authority over the things God has blessed you with. Your neighbor, your employer, your friends don't have authority over them unless you give it to them. This is why when you buy a gift, it's yours until you give it to them. Noah, he left. He, uh, he asked me, he goes, hey, so if you, if you know, get some money and you want to bless someone with some money, and as you're going to give it to them, and you get robbed. Does that still count? <laughs> no. No, it was still yours. It's yours until you give them. And that's the submission. You're, you're, you're making a decision to give something. Once you've given it to them, you cannot be like, well, actually, that was mine before it was yours. No, you've, you've stepped away from that being yours. And no longer it is yours. Marriage is the same thing. Kids are under their parents' authority. And whenever they get married, 
The parents are like, I can't mingle in your relationship. I can help, but you're your own thing. And they're probably like, thank God that someone came and took you. <laughs> but within this commandment, the in individual ownership is established, property and possession rights. We also read in John 21, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a prophecy on Peter basically saying that, hey, Peter, there's going to come a time where people will carry you to where you don't want to go. And it's spoken from this negative connotation. It's not a positive act where you are being forced to go somewhere where, where you don't want to go. So it's like someone taking control of your body. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because when we get sick, we relinquish authority to people who love us. You know, because we can't take care of ourselves, right? So we, someone that we trust. Like imagine if you were sick and you, and you invited your enemy to come and take care of you. We don't do that. <laughs> we're like, who loves us the most? And we can grant some authority to help us during this, the, the sickness. We don't think about these things because we live in a place that in most cases honors these God-given rights. I shared with you the story. You know, I, came, I was born in Ukraine. My parents are sitting here. Their grandparents, they know what it's like to, have, to not have authority over your property and over freedoms that we take for granted here. You don't have to look back in the good old days. You have to look, look now in China and Afghanistan, a lot of places around the world that don't share these freedoms. And we cannot be just passive and say, well, God, whatever, you'll still be God. Yes, he will, but it's going to really be horrible for you to worship him underground. And maybe that's what you need. First Corinthians talks about marriage. Specifically, the married, one relinquishes control of their bodies to their spouses. They're not relinquishing control of their body to a group of people. And it's not being forced from them. Part of marriage is saying, my body's your body, your body's my body. It's a powerful act because it's under the covenant of marriage where the male and the female have given up authority over their own body without disrespecting. But even in those situations when the body is disrespected and dishonored, you have to resist that. You have to fight for those freedoms that are given by God. But this is limiting. This is limiting authority, just like parents have authorities over their kids' bodies. For it's limited and it's for, it's for a season. Except if you're married, it's for the rest of your life, so you sort of came to pre-marriage counseling, and I, t I would have told you that, that way you could reevaluate who you latched on with. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 talks about our bodies being God's temples. The Christian is supposed to use their body to glorify God, but the world uses its body to glorify themselves. So we have different purposes for our body. So there is a distinction. We're supposed to not walk in the manner of those who are apart from Christ. And if you belong to God, and this is where the deeper part about your body, your choice, if you belong to God, it's not even your body. It's actually your body belongs to God, and God is allowing you to be a steward of your body. 
And your body doesn't belong to you because Jesus paid with his blood for you. Matthew 26, Jesus did the most loving thing any person can do. The definition of love is when he died on a cross. It looks like from one angle that they, that they arrested him, they tried him, they put him before Pilate, and they murdered him, hung him on the tree. And God's like, well, you know, I guess since this happened, then let this blood be for all salvation, and let me just work with this mistake. No, that's not how it happened. Jesus was now forced to give himself up. He chose to submit himself even unto death. I hope you're seeing the picture that our body is not our own. It's a gift and it belongs to God because we belong to God. We are not owners of this body. We are stewards of it. We should submit to authorities as much as we can and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. The government does not have jurisdiction over our bodies. Neither does our bosses, nor do our neighbors. No human does. 